Joining us in the classroom today is Coach Alan Pavette. Coach Pavette has been at MRA for 10 years, uh, serves our head baseball coach. He's won multiple state championships uh, in his stints as a head coach. He's also in the Tennessee Coaches Hall of Fame for baseball. Um, so we're going to get a wealth of knowledge in how he runs his program now and what that looks like inside of Patriot Baseball today in the classroom. things in, in, in your with what you do with your baseball team so I, I want you to dive into your journey of some things that have transpired and we're the culture classroom so we we don't really get into hitting lessons and X and O talk with ball we want to know more about and, and you brought up a great topic when we talked earlier this week about how you don't see it as networking you see it as something else and I'll let you get into that with us and our listeners but there's a lot of times that I think coaches forget about the heart of a kid, and that's what we truly do. Uh, so are there some things that you did back in the past uh, that kind of translate to this day to where you're building a lot of culture with your baseball team, with your core values, and, and the T-shirts that you do that we'll talk about a little bit later? But are there some things that you did in the past that have changed over time to now, and how has the game or, say, athletes changed from when you coached 20 years ago, 15 years ago to now? Uh, definitely my coaching has changed. I mean, I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always, uh, I guess you might say, stealing ideas. I call it borrowing ideas from other people. I just uh, try to be a sponge and soak up as much information uh, as I can. But definitely I've changed over the years as a coach. When I first started coaching, I, I was, uh, I was a coaching baseball like a football coach because that's what I was going to be. Was I, That was my goal in life was – be a head football coach and God just had other plans for me and uh, I became a baseball coach and, and uh, probably the only thing at the beginning was was about winning it was everything was about winning I wanted to win state championships I wanted to be the best um, and the only way I knew how to do that was practice hard play hard be tough um, develop toughness in my players make my players tough um, and then along the way, probably about my midpoint at, at uh, Covington, I kind of started changing a little bit. Uh, just, again, learning um, that there's always a better way, a new way, a different way, whatever you want to say. But um, I kind of developed my own mission as a baseball coach. Probably, I guess it was probably around 1997, 98, uh, that I developed a mission statement. And... Uh, for my program and I wanted my program to look like this and um, basically you know my mission was is developing godly men for Christ and so then I started trying to figure out okay how does my program look like that um, and I came up with just two rules for my team you know because I was a rule guy I, I had a bunch of rules and I eliminated all my rules and came up with two so that my, my mission looked like my rules and that was one all I want my players to do is give their very best every day because that's what God wants us to do. And if you do that, then a lot of things take care of themselves. Right. And then the second thing is be coachable or be teachable. 
Um, so that's only two rules I still have as a coach. I don't have a bunch of don't do this, don't do that stuff. You know, um, I keep it simple. So as I continue. To no, it's great. I think everything that you do funnels back to those two rules, and that pretty much covers everything you need, Coach. Absolutely, and that's what I kind of found out as I was on this journey of learning. Um, and it simplified everything. Yeah. Um, you know, if I had a kid that got in trouble in the classroom, I asked him the question. Because I told my kids, I'm going to ask you two questions all the time. And the question would be, did you give your very best today? And the answer would be no. I said, okay, then there's repercussions for it. You know, so it, it kind of, it was simple and it covered, it covered everything. Right. You know, it was a blanket coverage. Uh, are you coachable? <clears throat> Pretty simple thing. Do you want to learn? Um, you know, and as I, I continue to go along, uh, I'm a big um, quote guy. I use a lot of quotes. I give my guys a lot of quotes. I call them pavetisms, uh, but they're just things that I've learned over the years. But, you know, I talk to our players every day that I'm looking for PhDs, guys who are poor, hungry, and driven every day. Uh, poor knowledge, hungry to learn, and driven to be the best. And I still think you can be successful and win championships and things of that nature, uh, but it's, it, that's not what you're chasing. Um, I'm chasing the hearts of my players um, through everything that we do. Um, as I continued on through my coaching, you know, I'm adding to it. I'm adding to um, my, um, I guess, uh, what is it, a portfolio or mm -hmm. rep repertoire or whatever yeah. uh, that you're trying to do and build. And when I was at Briarcrest, I came up with the uh, – Stole from Jim Trestle the Circle B, the Circle B of life, and, and everything centered around God. You know, God's got to be at the center of everything, and you build off of all that. Um, so, again, we're trying to identify what our program looks like, and we're trying to, to, to teach our players and coach our players in that way. You know, if we tell, as coaches or teachers in the classroom, we're telling people that, are coaching to those people that God is should be the center of the life, and that should be the reflection of our walk, not just our talk. And you know that our family's the second most important thing, and then the relationships you build, or in their case, not only the relationships they're build, but their education uh, as they go through school. We have to value importance in that. And if I'm telling a kid, "Hey, coach, I got to make up a test today, or I need to go to tutoring today," well, no, we got baseball practice. You need to do it a different time. Well, then I'm not really walking my talk that I'm telling mm -hmm. to them. So we've done. A, I've done a better job of that um, in that area. And then when I got to MRA, I keep kind of uh, expanded it into the fact that you know. Um, I built my core values into what our mascot is. We're the Patriots, so I borrowed from Ole Miss. They develop a Rebs for their baseball program, so um, I decided I'm going to build a Pats. And what I want my athletes to look like, our players to look like, you know, players that play with passion every day or live a life of passion every day. We talk about that a lot in, in, our, uh, in our program. Uh, about whatever you do, you got to be passionate about it. Um, 
gotta you gotta give your whole heart to whatever you're doing and all that you do. And then attitude, the A for attitude, the attitude to give my very best every day, which goes back to our mission. Um, and then toughness, the ability to embrace adversity every day. Um, we talk a lot about each one of those things and how critical, because it's easy to go through. Baseball is probably the toughest sport I've coached. I've coached football. I've coached wrestling. I've coached basketball. I've coached baseball. Um, and I've coached at different levels. And I've coached different level of players. But baseball is the hardest game to me to play and coach because it's there's so much failure in the game. And you have to have the toughness to, to embrace adversity. And you can do everything right in the game of baseball. I can hit the baseball hard, and I get out, which is kind of what life is. I can do everything right and still feel like I failed. Uh, but i got to embrace that. And then we talk about selfless, selfless, the S in Pats, we over me. we got to constantly put people above ourselves in order to elevate our game. So we've kind of mastered that, and I, I kind of like what we're doing right now. Uh, I feel good about what we're doing with our program and getting our kids to buy in it. Uh, we just keep working at it each day. Yeah, I, and Coach Torrey, I, I can speak from seeing it every day. So when he works his guys out in there, in here on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, their specific days, he goes, what's today's core value? Passion. And he has them recite the credo. And it is powerful yeah. to watch those guys not just, hey, I have to memorize this, but you see them embrace it and they learn it and they understand it. And then they put it into action. Uh, so I get to see that firsthand when they're in here in the fall, in the spring, uh, doing those things. And Coach Yvette is he's on another level as far as core values go, as understanding what culture's about, um, and how it drives solely to the athlete, not just, you know, hey, let's have some words, let's do this. Because uh, there's a lot more things that he's going to talk about that our listeners are going to love. Well, real quick, I want to ask, I didn't really go down the mission and the vision path till I did my master's, and I remember I read a few books while I'm working on my master's, and I'm trying to come up with my vision, I'm trying to come up with my mission, uh, it's, it was, we refined it throughout the course that I took in order to get those things done, and uh, that was hard work. Coach, where did you first learn about coming up with your own mission? I think you said it was the late 90s, maybe 97. Who planted that seed? And tell us a little bit about what that process was like for you to come up with that. Really, I, I, I can't tell you exactly where I got it from, except from the, the standpoint of just talking with my pastor uh, through my own personal journeys and, you know, trying to find out who I am. In order to, to know what you're supposed to do and do it in the way you're supposed to do it, you have to identify who you are. And, you know, and he just asked me, he said, who are you besides your name? Um, you know, and, and so I'm going down a list. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. And, you know, one of the things he said, you know, are you a child of God? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, shouldn't that be the first thing? And I said, well, yeah, that makes sense. He said, because without that, you're not going to do good at anything else. And so then we, 
I guess that's kind of how I started talking about or finding out about the mission and coming up with my mission statement was just talking with him with, you know, cause you know, I, I've been blessed and I've been fortunate to coach some really special players and, and be at opportunities to play in state championships and win state championships and stuff like that. But as any coach or teacher knows, you know, after you do it, then now what do you do? What's next? Is this it? Is this all there is to it? And so I think it was important for me to have me a, a mission so that it becomes, I don't have to question, what do I do next? I just keep, I keep going on the mission. Uh, I'm staying on the mission. And then I had another person in my life when I was at Briarcrest that helped me my first year because I was in a transition year and, and uh, had, a, had a lot of players that had played for another coach. And I gave them their opportunities and their chances. But I told them there was going to be a bottom line time where, you know, either they showed me what they could do or I was going in a different direction. And so I started going in a different direction. And these kids kind of quit, which I didn't want them to quit. But I had some younger players that were just better than them. And it was a learning experience, and that's what I was trying to teach them. But anyway, this guy, his name was Claude Pearson, and I remember him telling me just about every day these words, and that was, stay the course, stay the course, stay the course. And I think a lot of times we as coaches or teachers, we get off course. And we get off course because we forget what our mission is, where we're going on our journey what path we're going on or going down. Uh, because we get, you know, we get the adversity that comes our way. We get the storm that goes our way. But see, I can't lose. My sail is going to keep sailing as long as I keep remembering my my mission. Well, no, I think that's such, such an important message for our, our listeners to hear or even just me to absorb and take in. in. In my book, More Than the Game, I write about how every day, you're either getting closer to your goal or you're getting farther away from it. You never stay the same. And there are so many days where we just kind of flounder our way through it, I feel like, unless you're on a mission, unless you're intentional about how you're living and the choices you're making. So I really appreciate about that, that about you, Coach. Well, thank you. Uh, I think it's, 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 it's so huge because I look back at our core values and our core values support that mission that we're on because I believe when you're on a mission, you become passionate about it and you have an attitude that you're going to give your very best every day towards that mission. You're going to have the toughness to embrace the adversity that's going to come along on that mission. And I know that because of my mission, why I'm doing what I'm doing is, is we over me. I'm doing this for other people. I'm not doing it for me. I'm not doing it for me to... You know, like I've never been a guy who plays down so he can get him some wins and, and elevate his record. I want to put my kids in the best situations they can be in to challenge them to be better uh, because I feel like that's where you learn and grow the most and find out the most by, about yourself, you know, when you're uncomfortable and you're in them uncomfortable situations. And John, he's talking about those wins. He's got, he just went over the 600 career win mark this year. Um, wow, congratulations. That's a huge milestone. Thank you. It just means I'm getting older, man. <laughs> Coach, I want you to talk to us a little bit because there's more into your culture 
uh, than just the surface layer of your core values and your kids know it. Uh, there's things that you do with t-shirts every day. There's things you do that I just finally caught on about Championship Thursday and what that looks like inside of your program here at MRA. Well, we started this, these t-shirts uh, two years ago. Again, I got them from Ole Miss. Uh, I was coaching at their baseball camp, and um, they give out a Coach of the Day shirt at their baseball camps. Well, being the competitive person I am, I want to be Coach of the Day. <laughs> and so I'm coaching my tail off out there and trying to win this shirt. Every, every, even when I won it, I wanted to win another one and win another one. I just wanted to coach hard, and I was just thinking to myself, if I'm, if that T-shirt motivates me that much to give me give my very best every day, what will it do for my kids? And so we started. I started creating shirts for our guys that we give out each day. Uh, they give back at the end of the day to just try to motivate them to uh, kind of like giving a sticker to a kid in the classroom because mm-hmm. he did good, you know, mm-hmm. an attaboy. Um, and then we have a Pats shirt of the day, which reflects our core values that we give to a player who demonstrates the, the, the values of the Pats and the way they play. Um, and then we created Championship Thursday, which, you know, a lot of colleges, baseball teams do the Omaha Challenge uh, at the end of the season. And, you know, and that's good and everything, but I, I don't have my all my guys all season long. Um, and by the time I get my, all my guys, we're, we're busy. We're, we're trying to get ready for the season. So I came up with the idea to, uh, with the championship Thursday, which would help change the monotony of our workout. Because one thing that we do in our workouts, we don't do the same workout every day. We do a different variation um, just to kind of create um, an intensity and uh, to break the monotony of the weight room. But... We have Championship Thursday every day, and, I mean, the kids have bought into it so much that when they walk into the school on Thursday morning, they'll say, Coach, you know what day day is? Today's Championship Day. So we uh, we just divide up our kids and uh, teams and compete. I change up the teams each time we go just to build the mindset that usually when we play our championship game, it's on a Thursday. And so we got to raise our level of play on Thursdays. Uh, and play at a higher level. Yeah, I didn't, John, I didn't get that until I finally put it together. They played in the state championship again this year, and it was a Thursday, and I, he's like, Coach, this is why we do championship Thursday. So it kind of dawned on me, you know, and once again, if you're not in the system, if you're not in the program, you really don't know what that is with those kids. Like he said before, they know what day it is uh, when they wake up in the morning and come to school. Well, that's so powerful from a mindset of, oh, it's Thursday. And it's midweek. It's nothing really special about a Thursday. But, uh, you know, to get a 15 to 18-year-old kid excited about coming to school that day because they know there's going to be a competition and there's going to be a winner and a loser, I mean, that's huge. And then to tie it back into the purpose, you know, because if you're on a mission, you're thinking about that. I think of, like, Dan Gable, who, when he was the head wrestling coach at Iowa, he had a 365-day plan for his athletes, and it started – on Saturday of the NCAA tournament at 10 p.m. after the finals were over and they were cleaning and rolling up the mat all the way till 7 p.m. of the following year on that same championship Saturday. So I think what you're doing to build that mindset, to instill that into your kids, and it's Thursday, and this is why it's Thursday, and 
they're going to carry that on the rest of their life. Yeah, I, I do, and, and the kids love it. You know, even though they're out there uh, puking their guts up out there on the field, they want some more of it. You know, they get, they just love it. You know, I just did my exit evaluations with my players, uh, which I, I've, I've started that the last few years. I've done different things to uh, to try to build relationships in my players, other than just on the baseball field or in the weight room where they can come in and we spend about 20 to 30 minutes talking about their strengths and weaknesses, um, what, how we as coaches evaluate them and see them. And then I ask, want them to also give us strengths and weaknesses about our program, like things that we do well, things that we can improve on. And one of the common denominators that all the kids say when we meet is they love Championship Thursday. So powerful. Uh, Coach, I want to talk about your t-shirt idea for a little bit. I'm a huge Cubs fan my whole life. Uh, and then when I read The Cubs Way, that was one of those books that has really stayed with me. And it's all about culture and how do you change from a perennial loser into a World Series champion. And uh, my best friend and I, who we grew up together, we're not anywhere close to the Chicagoland area, but we went to game four of that World Series at Wrigley together. And it was we were just like little kids on Christmas in a candy store, and um, the, it, the Cubs, they were crumbling at that point. They were three and they were down one to three in the series to the Indians, and it looked real dark, even for Cubs fans who, you know, we're used to a little bit of darkness. Yeah. But I think one of the things Joe Madden did to change the culture was he used his T-shirt. Uh, I've got my Try Not to Suck T-shirt on at home that he put in the playoffs in 2015 because just trying to alleviate the pressure that some of these guys were under. Um, there's about 10 different T-shirts that he's handed out to his guys at various points since he's been with the Cubs. Um, how long have you been using the T-shirt idea? This will be my third year to do it. And, and the funny thing is my first year at Ole Miss, when, I, when they gave out the T-shirt for Coach of the Day, they had Joe Madden's silhouette on the back of the shirt. I still got it. There you go. And, that, and that, I mean, think about that. Well, and that's where I think yep. they got their T-shirt ideas was from Joe Madden. Uh, but we give out a T-shirt of the day for the fielder of the day. Uh, we give one out for a hitter of the day, pitcher of the day, lifter of the day. And then we have a patch T-shirt as well that we give out that they, you know, they just, they, they played or practiced with passion, toughness, attitude, and were selfless. Yeah. Can you tell me about the colors? Because well, so look, John, they're different colors too. That's the cool part. They're not all the same color. So each shirt has its own – it distinguishes itself in different ways. So can you tell us, like, the Yeah, the yellow shirt is like the Tour Defense shirt. The Tour Defense is what we put on the back of it. And then we have the Silver Slugger, which is the hitting shirt. And then we have um, a camo shirt that, uh, that has King of the Hill on the back of it for our pitchers. And then we have the Baby Blue for Pat's shirt. And I'm going to come up with another one this year to uh, – reward those that are, you know, run well, do a great job of base running. Uh, we're going to do a green one, and, and it's going to be the Game Changer shirt. Wow. Uh, that's, that's so cool what you're doing. And, I mean, and then what's impressive about it is I think sometimes as coaches we get caught up in, I've got to have this, and i got to have this, and i got to fundraise so that I have enough money to buy all these things. Look at all the mileage you've gotten out of $10 and $15 T-shirts. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, I reuse them. 
because I just wash them. They give them back to me at the end of the day. They don't get to keep them because that, you know, to me, I want them to earn it again. You know, how many times can you, like some of our guys, they're trying to win that shirt every day. Um, they're just, they, they really like the shirts. Now, where do they wear the shirts? They wear the shirts at practice or during the workouts for the day. Can you imagine that, JT, being set apart like that and having that I mean, be in display? You know, it, and, and I think what I really like about it, and we had something similar. When I was at Iowa State on Dan McCartney's staff, we had a hardcore practice jersey that went to the scout team player. But then it's almost like a target on your back. Yeah. Or I remember when I was at the 49ers, we had a finish cone that was 30 yards away. So if you're running a six-yard hitch, you're going to catch your six-yard hitch, and then you're going to sprint another 24 yards to the finish cone. And if you didn't, they had like a flaming hot pink jersey that you got in your locker you had to wear to practice the next day. And it's like, what I love about your idea is it's the opposite. You're not shaming kids. You're building them up to an expectation that you want everyone else to join. Well, it's kind of like, you know, when I was coaching football, not here, but at a couple other places, I, I took the top Osborne approach with the black shirts. I wanted my defensive guys, they had to earn their black shirt to be on the starting defense. That's the same thing, I think, in a, in a different way. That's right. Hey, just so you know, you're talking you're talking to a Nebraska season ticket holder. So that tugs them off the string, coach. I love the black shirts. Um, you did something neat this year. I don't know if you've done it in years past, but you went through a book study with your guys. Can you tell us how that went and how beneficial it was for your kids and how that works? Maybe help some of the coaches out there that are thinking about doing a book study, leading a leadership program. Uh, what that looks like. Well, this year, this past year, uh, I was reading several books written by Darren Donnelly, the uh, Sports for the Souls, which I highly recommend to any anybody. And uh, one of the books in particular, because I try to come up with a theme every year for my team. You know, one year we were it was B.O.B. Band of Brothers. Uh, this past year was grit, because um, we had I don't think. That was something that these kids hear a lot about. When I was growing up, we were always taught or told about how you got to have grit. You got you know grit, grit, grit. I think kids here just think it's something you eat. Mississippi grits. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I read this book, Old School Grit, and it's a very easy read, and uh, I mean it was powerful. And so I decided, you know, I'm gonna make my kids read this book um, just to have some growth. You know, um, and it worked out perfectly because there were like 15 chapters in the book. And by the time we started uh, going through it with our kids, it led us all the way up to state championship week. Um, So anyway, I had the kids read this book and each week we would have team meetings uh, and talk about the book. We would talk, review the chapter, talk about how we can apply it to our team. How can we apply it to our life? And then I give them a quiz on it, like five questions, just to see how well they're paying attention. And uh, so we went through the whole year with it. Uh, I'm going to do a new, another one this this year. I really liked it, and I think our kids really liked it. Uh, even my parents were reading the books, uh, reading the book, and uh, just talking about how powerful it was. Wow. Uh, tell me about then what was that like to get the kids to buy into that? Because I know that a lot of times as coaches, 
it's it's like you're fighting them all the time, right? You're forcing the hand. You're trying to get them to do something that they really aren't interested in doing, or maybe they have the short side of view where they don't see the point in it. How how did your kids gravitate toward the book, or did they at first, or did they grow in a lot? Tell us about those growing pains that maybe you went through because you're like, hey, this is something new we're doing. We've never done it before. Well, I don't think that there was, I mean, it wasn't every time, every meeting was perfect. You know, I'm sure we probably, uh, I would say that, I would say that 80% of my kids read the whole book. Uh, I would say that probably 30% or maybe 40% retained all the information in the book. That, you know, consistently they were making hundreds on the quizzes. Uh, but, I mean, I give a synopsis of basically the questions I was going to ask, you know, teach to the test theory uh, uh, and how much they could retain information. But I think they really enjoyed the book. And the other thing is this, you know, um, I, may not, I may not save all, save all the seashells on the shore, but I can save some. So I got to at least try. And so I wasn't afraid of trying and getting them to write, read the book, whether they really liked it or not. Um, hopefully I was presenting it in a way that maybe if I didn't read it, now I really want to read it, you know, because, I'm, I, I mean, it was powerful stuff. It was good motivational stuff. Um, you know, probably the funniest thing about the whole thing was I got to pick me a book that they win in the end because at the end of the book, the guy loses in the national championship, but lost the state championship. So maybe that's not as good a book to end on. But uh, well, well, everything that's else a, was great well, that's about a, that's it, a you know. Right there. Huh. It was great about uh, it. But Darren Donnelly does a great job in his books. If you haven't read them, I would highly recommend them. Yeah, I, I really like a lot of his writings, and um, I'm a big reader too. And in the society today, we read a lot, but it's text messages or it's online content. It's not a hardcover book, sit down and actually go from cover to cover. Uh, so I really appreciate what you did there and to chunk it out throughout the season, to divide it out and to make your kids accountable with a little quiz. I think that's powerful. Uh, one of the conversations I have with other coaches that I work with that I'm in the trenches with is, oh, well, yeah, we know it's important, but... You know, we've got all these other things to do, or we aren't winning anyway, so now we're going to take 20 minutes to have a discussion about a chapter of a book when, you know, our kids don't know blah, blah, blah. And in some ways, I, I kind of have to bow to them and be like, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, is that 20 minutes better spent on this book? But I go back to my own core values of reading and writing. Those are just things that I stand for, and I'm willing to be different, and I appreciate that about you and you're willing to be different with your guys, and you're willing to try it. Yeah, I mean, you never know until you try. And, and the other thing is, is uh, I, I, practice is overrated, <laughs> you know. Um, I think it's about more about mental preparedness uh, than it is about just actual skill stuff. Um, I think that's where you have to – if you want to be successful in any competition – or, or sport or anything like that, you have to be mentally prepared just like you do if you're in the classroom. You have to be mentally prepared for the test. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to be. And so, how do you become mentally prepared is obviously being prepared. 
for that. You know, I, I talk to our kids a lot about, uh, we have a lot of kids that are going to showcases and playing the summer ball circuit and all this. And a couple of weeks ago, I asked them, I said, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you traveling all over to go play in these tournaments or showcases? And they said, well, coach, to be seen. And I said, well, I said, how's that working for you? Are you being seen? Well, yeah. I said, so have you got any feedback from them? Well, no. I said, so what, again, why are you going? Well, to be seen. I said, well, to me is, are you there to be seen? Are you just there where people are seeing other people? For example, are you wowing somebody with what you do by running hard on and off the field? Because everybody else can catch a ground ball or catch a fly ball or throw. And you got guys that throw 90 plus, but what are you doing to wow somebody that you're that you're trying to be seen by? And one of the things that I try to do with our guys is is I'm trying, I mean, I want to wow them every time we come out there because I want them to be motivated to come to practice, um, you know, have them buy into what we're doing. I want them to be uncomfortable in what they're doing because I feel like that's where you grow the most. And at the very beginning, reading the book was probably very uncomfortable for them. You know, speaking out, raising their hand in class uh, to answer questions was uncomfortable, or me calling on them in class was uncomfortable. But as the year went on, they got a whole lot better. And I, I wasn't even prompting the conversations they were. Yeah, that, that's where I see where, where your leaders start emerging, too from those uncomfortable moments where they're the ones that want to step out or they're the ones that want to raise their hand or they're not afraid to, to say the wrong thing, but yet they're, they're the ones that's going to answer a question. Um, so have you, have you seen leader, did you see any leaders come out of that group or were the 80% that read a book or 30, 40% that retained it? Were those guys you saw leaders on the field, not just with physical attributes, but on the mental side of the game? I think the ones that are trying to wow people, were the ones that were answering the questions. The ones that want to be in the middle of the pack stay in the middle of the pack. They want to be unseen. They don't want the spotlight on them. And then that, that's where I have to step in and have to, look, you're part of our program. You need, to get, you need to get comfortable with this. You need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's what we talk to our guys. We've been talking to our guys about uh, because that's where you're going to ex excel at. Um, I think baseball is such a mental game. Oh, it is. It's so mental because with every pitch, you don't know where the ball is going. And there's, God forbid, you put two people on base and there's one out. And you don't know. I mean, and there's people. I mean, there's so many things going that the mental approach to the game is so key. So key, especially for high school players. It is. You know, and another thing that we've done because I'm trying new stuff all the time. I'm not afraid afraid to try anything. You know, I'm not a gimmick guy, though. I don't go out and buy all these gimmick devices. and uh, Or if I do, I really study them and find out if they're going to be useful. But like this year, um, you know, again, I was listening to Coach Bianco talk at baseball camp. And um, one of my groups that I was coaching, he stopped the game. They were playing in and brought him over. And he said, uh, he said, I want to ask you something, guys. He said, how many have you ever played kickball in your life before or, or wiffle ball? And, and, of course, all the kids raised their hand. And then he asked them, he said, who is your coach? 
And they said, well, nobody was our coach. Well, who told you to, to run to second base when the ball was overthrown at first? Or who told you to throw it to this cutoff man? So then the wheels in my head start turning. And, you know, a lot of times we overcoach. We try to coach to coach just to hear ourselves coach, uh, to make them act like we know something. And I'm big on um, having them coach themselves. You know, I tell our guys, you're, you need to be your own pitching coach. You need to be your own hitting coach. We'll give you some feedback. We'll give you some guidelines. But, you know, who coached you to be a parent? Who coached you to be a dad? You know, I mean, if I'm trying to develop godly men, you know, along the way, then who coached them? Well, it was learning. You, you learned how to be a dad. You, you learned how to be a husband. Uh, you learned how to be a player. You learned how to play the game. Instead of me just, we feed kids too much information. So in our games now, I don't do a lot of coaching. I let my kids call their own pitches. Now, there's, there's other uh, sides to it. Coaches, well, I'm not going to turn that over to a 15 or 16 or 17-year-old. But if you prepare that kid, then he can go out there and do it. And he might do it better. I mean, I got one doing it better than me right now. He's been with me three years, and he just he learns his pitchers. They learn a lot about each other by doing that. We don't give them signals, you know, to steal or to bunt. You know, now if they don't do it, there is a repercussion. You know, like uh, – in our scrimmages, if you didn't steal a base in three pitches or less, then you were automatically out, you know. Um, but it just forced them to go to a different level. And we're trying to do that, think about ways that we can do that in the games, um, especially early in the season when we're not in conference games and see how that elevates our games. We want to take that to a different level this next year, and so we're coming up ways of doing that. You know, it's like, you know, in the classroom, do we want teacher-led classrooms or student-led classrooms? Do you want a player-led team or do you want a coach-led team? Well, John, that takes me, and Coach Fett, this is what it takes me to, is you're letting them fail. At some point, there is yes. failure. Yes. And they will fail, but that is the growth part of it. So, for me, as receivers coach, like, I don't want every route to be perfect. I don't want every route to be perfect. I don't want, I don't want you to catch every ball. I mean, essentially, I do, but... Having practice, that's what's going to allow you to fail. And then we have guys, like what you're doing right now, I, I turn my receivers over. Like I have older receivers that are coaching younger guys right now because of the mistakes that they've made, and they'll start coaching each other. But uh, I think that's so powerful, letting them fail. And how, how much have we heard about that, JT, about letting kids fail? Or like with Coach Kurt Hines, when he said there's too many helicopter parents out there that don't want them to fail, and they think that's bad. Um, how a high school baseball coach, is letting them fail on their own, and then they're growing from it, and then getting feedback. Yeah, I mean, and I think the the big takeaway I get from it is whenever you make the shift from coach-led to Mm player-led, there's a loss of control. And there's a time and a place for that, because sometimes that's just not the right situation for the team in that moment. But if you've been there a while and you've established yourself and the standard is the standard and you've got your core values and it's all defined and you're intentional about what you do, then giving up that little bit of control and shifting it onto the shoulders of the players sounds like it's had a huge benefit to your program, Coach. 
Well, it, it, it has. And, and you know, uh, another thing about it is I was that coach that jumped on that player for every mistake he made. You know, I was the barker. I was chewing him out for every mistake that he made. But as I got older and wiser, isn't that what they're supposed to do? Isn't that how they learn? You know, we talk to our kids that every day we go and practice, or whether we're in a game, that you are being educated every time you step on the field. Every time you go to the batting cage, you're edu- it should be an education. It shouldn't be, well, I got my three sets of ten swings in, Coach, or uh, I, I did all my throwing today. What did you learn today? What did you learn the right way today to do? What did you learn was the wrong way to do? Like, I don't get mad at my guys if they steal and get thrown out. I get more upset with them if they don't even take the chance. Because that's the biggest thing. Is not – because a lot of time, most of the time where it's coach-led, and I'm, I'm not saying you just don't turn over the the drive, the, the, uh, the steering wheel to them right off the get-go and just say drive. You know, you gotta you got to build to that point. But how are they supposed to learn? Because kids, they're not going to try if they're afraid of that fear. It's like the book I read this past summer, Lead for God's Sake. Uh, you know, we're motivated by either uh, reward or punishment. And so kids are not going to try something unless they know they're going to get rewarded for it or they're not going to try it because they're afraid of getting chewed out or getting put on the bench or getting an F on the test or whatever it is, they're, that, that's what they're afraid of. And I don't want my guys to be afraid. I want them to be fearless, which is what our theme is for next year, this coming year. That's our t- key point that we're going to work on is I want them to be fearless. I want them to be players that are not afraid to take risks uh, because you gain your greatest rewards by the risks you take. I think it goes back to when he was talking about JT was when you're comfortable. He's getting his players to be uncomfortable by taking those risks, whether it's stealing a base, whether it's um, trying a new way to hit. Yeah. You know, just trying something. Or maybe it's you, you're waiting for your pitch that's coming, and you know that you know it's coming, but you got to foul off about five of them to stay at the plate to get your pitch. Exactly. Well, I, I think that's really uh, important. I think that's an important message for people to hear. I just made some notes in my journal about another book that I read, and it talked about the behavior that's rewarded gets repeated, and the behavior that's punished is avoided. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, we'll really appreciate having you in the classroom today. And I've taken a ton of notes from our time together and just listening to you talk and um, very intentional about the way you run your program on a daily basis and and what you do and what you want for your players. My question is, as a guy with over 600 wins, what do you tell a younger guy who's just getting started who maybe has six wins? What piece of advice would you share with that person? Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail. Um, you know, that's where you learn the, the most. Um, the other thing that I would tell them, too, which is another, I guess, pavetism of mine, is the eyes and team. Be intentional about every kid on your team. You know, be intentional of B 
building that relationship with your players, uh, be an impact, make an impact in those kids' lives, and it becomes infectious throughout your team. Um, but I guess the biggest thing is, is don't be afraid to take risk. Um, the, um, you know, a lot of times we think like uh, we can't invent the wheel. The wheel's already been invented, but we, we can build on the wheel. We can make the wheel better, you know, and the way you make it better is through trial and error, you know. So that's the biggest thing as a coach. Well, Coach, this is going to round us out our time uh, in the culture classroom. We always ask this final question, um, and it's about your carrying trademark. So if you're familiar with John Gordon, he has a carrying trademark. So for Coach Tory, it's his purple shoes. Uh, on wrestling day, he wears his purple shoes that stand out. Uh, for me, it's during track season, I wear a red shirt on championship day uh, or a right handwritten notes during football season. But what's one thing that makes you stand out from everybody else uh, in your profession as a coach? I'm, I, I've never been one to wear the same shirt all the time or puts his socks on the same way. You know, baseball's full of superstition. Uh, I guess the most enduring thing, I think, and hopefully um, it's, it's real, and I believe it's real, is that I truly care about my players. Um, I, I'm, I'm intentional with them. Um, um, I, I guess that's the biggest, yeah. biggest thing that Don't I can you. say about me. I guess building off that, as a guy from Iowa, 1,500 miles away, if I were to show up at MRA one day and watch your practice, how would I know as an outsider, no connection to the program, that you care about your players? What's one thing you do that would show me that? Well, I go around to all the players during practice. When, they're, when, they're, when we get into our BP session and we got all the kids out on the field, I have a, a microphone I wear that projects out throughout the field. It's my accountability partner. So I have to be positive in everything I say because if anybody, if I say something negative, everybody on this campus is going to hear what I say, probably in the neighborhood. So I really like my accountability partner. It's helped me to be more positive. But the other thing is, is I'm going to be walking around the field the whole time talking to different kids, um, not just the same ones. Um, so I'm trying to be more uh, a personal coach rather than just – somebody barking stuff at people. GameStrat is the number one choice for football coaches looking for the most reliable and advanced sideline replay system on the market. More coaches are switching to GameStrat because it simply works when it's supposed to work. And unlike other systems, GameStrat is simpler to set up and use, delivers the fastest video transfer times in the industry, gives you the most tagging capabilities, and has the best game day support. Choose GameStrat for your game day needs.